For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, here to talk about the offense from the Lost to the Packers, that one-point heartbreaker. And here to join me is, is uh, James Ogden from across the pond. James, how you doing? Not bad, Ken. Thanks thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Uh, James really knows his stuff. I guess you you may know him as at NFL Ogden. Do I have it correct or Ogden NFL? Yeah, at, at NFL Ogden on Twitter, yeah. All right. Outstanding. Uh, he's a great follow and somebody you can you can easily talk to on Twitter in terms of uh, uh, whatever you want to discuss, probably with the Baltimore Ravens or, or the NFL in general. Uh, real tough loss here for the Ravens. Uh, the fifth game they've lost this season that was decided decided by either one or two points, which is frankly amazing. Uh, it's tied for the fifth most in NFL history. Six is the record. It was done four times. And amazingly, one of those times was the Baltimore Ravens in 1997 when they went 2-3-1 and one in such games. <laughs> okay. Nothing to talk about. That's good. No. That's <laughs> oh, sorry. God, I, thought, I thought you might have a response to that. I, <laughs> I, I, you were in full flow. I didn't know you were going there was, to. There was no, um, yeah, it's cool, isn't it? It's, um, it seems like it's every single week we get this, uh, we get this situation. And, um, uh, you know, it's... It's uh, it's interesting to I know you talked a lot about it with Sarah uh, last night, but it's just a, you know it's another two point conversion at the end of, to decide a game at the end of the game to talk about. So yeah, there was a uh, a note out a tweet from Jamison Hensley that said that it he, it was only this it was the first time in NFL history that a team has lost two games in the same season. Now that's not right. 
that the te- that a team has twice gone for it down one point in the fourth quarter in the same season. And when you think about it, it's kind of a risk. You have to have a lot of professional currency in the bank, as Harbaugh does, uh, to to be to take a risk like that and 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 be wrong twice. Yeah, and also to like to have two unique situations like that to get into. A, mm-hmm. It was the same thing with trying to break the um, the field goal record for Justin Tucker. Like it, it, certain circumstances would have to conspire to and to do, to have those circumstances conspire right. twice in a season is is pretty interesting. Yeah, and and uh, the field goal record for Tucker, it was once – they manufactured it once. I don't know if you remember this, but in Tampa Bay, uh, in the game they won 48-17, I think, a few years ago. They got to the 46-yard line that it happened, and Harbaugh actually said, I wanted to give him a chance for the longest field goal record. I mean, they already were past – you know, trying to deal with the score or optimize points or whatever. They were just trying to get him a long field goal, which is kind of cool. But anyway, this you're right. It's rare that this comes up in the case of two-point conversions. And uh, and this was something that, that uh, you know, again, it's going to be talked about a lot. I think the two-point conversion at the end, I don't hate it. I, I like it, and I but I don't love it. So I think it, it was probably a slight... Uh, slightly good call based on where the uh, um, secondary was at that point in terms of their chances to win in overtime. Yeah, I was the same. I was just kind of middling about it. I I think I felt pretty strongly with the Steelers game that I did want them to go for the two-pointer this time around. I was kind of on the fence. I like liked it. I think I, I, but I, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sort of as, as strong a feeling as I was with the with the pack with the Steelers game. Uh, yeah, was, I, yeah, sorry, go on, Ken. Yeah, the Steelers. I, I was I was very much for it as well. And it wasn't just the difference between Lamar and Huntley. It was the time in game remaining. So twelve seconds versus forty two is a big difference. And you know, you, you force Rogers to play three down football instead of four down football if you have a tie. So you have some some small additional gain you get from that. Uh, but but anyway, I really. I loved it against the Steelers. I kind of liked it against the, uh, you know, in this last one that uh, against the Packers. Yeah, and obviously there's been a lot of talk about the play call, hasn't there? And I think, you know, for me that that's probably where the criticism lies slightly. I, I I sort of I put out a tweet. I don't think I've really explained it particularly well. I'm not I'm I'm not one for brevity, so I'm not one to to explain well in, in uh, on, on with such limited characters. But I think um, I think for me the the thing that was that I would nuance the criticism with was just that I felt like Huntley. Yeah, there were lots of, and we'll probably get into this. There were lots of uh, occasions where they gave him. Uh, you know, less to deal with and get put him in positions to be successful. But in this, in this instance, they chose to do that. But I felt like there were plenty of instances through the game where they hadn't put him in, in a, in a position where they put him, where they'd given him the whole offense and, and it, and he'd play, he'd played well. He'd shown really good processing. And I thought he was in the zone on that last drive. So I'm not sure I'd have gone with a rollout with a half field read and, and pretty yeah. much a predetermined throw to Andrews um, with the play call. I, th- I would have given, I would have put some, I would have put it more on him. I think at, at that point in the game. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I leave the run option open. They had a very good offensive line game. And even if they're going to bring more, well, I mean, first of all, if they do bring more, you roll from the pocket anyway, and they can force you to do it, but that leaves them with less back end defenders. And you've got a, you've got a choice to make on that uh, play. I, I, 
I'm, I, I would have preferred leaving in the pocket because it leaves the run as a very serious weapon and forces additional defense on that, too. So I like that. And the Packers had really screwed that up. They had 10 men on the field, obviously, on the touchdown. Um, but, but they had other mistakes in the game, the eight-yard touchdown run up the middle. Um, they, they didn't really have it covered either. So uh, there, there were there – were, it could have worked out from the pocket that way. I wouldn't have been even opposed if they'd done a straight handoff because the power run can be very effective. If they had Latavius Murray in the backfield there, you know, as much as that seems wrong, <laughs> I would not I would not have minded that because it would have been a big misdirection play to do it. Yeah, and the misdirection, I think, is the – so the, on the broadcast copy, you can see um, Harbaugh um, talking to some guys and then he beckons – Andrews over to yes. him and I thought oh what a brilliant bluff he's beckoning Andrews over like it was it looked like it was calculated but it wasn't they were actually going to Andrews yeah. and it, <laughs> so it could have been it could have been a situation where you use Andrews in the same way you know that the Titans use Derrick Henry with the with the tosser when he when he does the jump pass when sure. everyone's expecting him to run it in everyone was expecting it to go to Andrews and maybe the the decoy might have been but we can all second guess on uh, Monday morning quarterbacking can't we yeah, you you just have to have multiple reads. There's things about this game, and I want to get to it a little bit later, that would tell me that he was looking for Andrews first, and then was going short to deep on his on his reads that that helped him get rid of the football quickly, but really limited the offense in a lot of ways. I want to talk about that a little bit later. Before that, I want to talk about the other two point conversion because this is the one that really uh, it's the two calls were inconsistent, is what I'll say. So. You, you at 447, they scored and they were down eight after the touchdown, but before the extra point decision. If they go for the two point conversion, that's kind of analytics 101. It's football math 101. You go for that in that situation to cut the lead to six if you can and try and win the game in regulation. And, and you have to only have a 38.2% chance to be successful. And by the way, a lot of people want to like work from the outcome. The way that this is done over the headset, the way this is done in terms of, of how they look at the problem is to provide Harbaugh with a break-even rate of success where it's a good deal. And then they may provide him other things like, hey, if you really thought it was 45, that would give us a 6% additional chance to win or some such. But the first thing they need to provide him with is, look, uh, Harbs, the break-even is 38.2% on this, or the break-even is 38%. Um, that bothered me because I think the break-even for the second one, which I still liked, would have been up around 45%. Do you, um, one thing I wanted to ask, so obviously I'm, I, I love analytics and I'm a data Mm -hmm. guy, but I don't, I, you know, it's not something I spend time trying Mm -hmm. to understand. So the question I I've always, I've kind of wanted to ask about that specific scenario was, does it, does it being Aaron Rodgers change, uh, change that slightly? Or is there a way that that can play into the model? Maybe that I wonder whether would Rodgers be more aggressive knowing he's down, knowing he's up six rather than seven does it change the play call and do they do they look to try and get a first down at more cost than they were in in but maybe that plays that plays into the model probably in a lot of ways i would think so i I, what was interesting your thoughts on that I, i think the critical thing here is that the um uh the only scenario where the ravens have a chance to win is by scoring scoring in some fashion, handling the extra points or winning in overtime. So I think, I don't think you need to really consider the other things. Now, that being said, 
I, I, I'm obviously agreeing with your earlier comment about the difference between 12 seconds and 42 in terms of the risk of having Rodgers go up with a tie and give you three down football versus four. So I'm admitting there is some small difference for that. I, I think it's a legitimate question whether or not that changes how Aaron Rodgers views the game leading by only six as opposed to seven or what, whether they'll take a chance with a pass they wouldn't. They'd increase their chance for a first down because of that, and that would reduce the Ravens' chance to get the ball back. I think that's probably true. I just I don't know how much I would say that should affect it because I, I, my own personal view is they should have passed on third down anyway, and they did, right? They did, and they were I think they did, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, but you might say they should pass on, on second down instead of on third down, and then I could see that. Anyway, lots on the two-point attempts. Uh, I have to go over this again immediately on a show right after this. So, so uh, uh, let's move on and talk about the uh, the offense in general. And, and start with Lamar Jackson and his inavailability here. You know, we heard all week it's not a high ankle sprain. Um, then we heard reports that it might be a bone bruise and that it might be a longer-term injury. Yeah, that that was that was interesting that it got to that point. I you know. It, it was almost more promising when it was not when it was just not a high ankle sprain, which tends to suggest yes. it was a, a, a you know a, the non dreaded low ankle sprain that you could see him coming back from and the mobility would be fine. I think there is a question. I you know I don't think this is a quarterback controversy in any stretch of the imagination, but I do mm-hmm. think there's a question given how well Huntley operated the offense, and um, which was the same question they probably had last week, which is if Lamar. Mars mobility is compromised. Uh, do you do you do you look at do you look at the situation slightly differently and say actually Huntley a seventy percent Lamar actually a hundred percent Huntley is not that far off and actually may give us a better chance to win. So you, you do have to ask that question. I think. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think that's the correct question. I think in this Packers game, the Ravens actually planned to sit Lamar out no matter what, because they, they wanted to make sure or give him the highest probability to be ready for the game of the season, which is this week against Cincinnati. Um, it's, it's a must win of the four. If they, if they don't win it, they're, they're a very distant wild card hope. If they win it, they're very much in the catbird seat on the division. So, you know, they've, they've, it's a big game and, and, um, I, I want to talk with uh, Dan Reese, my, my by the numbers partner, about what the leverage is on this game. But I'm sure it's very high, and and uh, uh, both yeah. teams right around fifty percent to make the playoffs right now by Football Outsiders. Yeah, Dan, Dan uh, had a great great um, piece on Twitter. Uh, I think got ripped off by a couple of people actually. Um, so we should give him a, a plug here. He had a number uh, so with all the scenarios, and I think the Vegas result last night was a uh, he pointed out was a was a good one. Uh, oh, Yo- yeah. Yoshi as well. Uh, Yoshi twenty fifty two has got some uh, stuff out there as well on Twitter. You can go and look at if you want to see the probability. All right, we'll have to talk about that then. Um, so if Lamar can play against the Bengals, fantastic. One thing that may be another decision is, and this could really complicate the matter, is if he's if it's, again, a 70% Lamar, 100% Huntley situation, do you play Huntley against the Bengals, hope for the best, if that works out? It effectively earns Lamar two weeks off because the Rams game, again, is, is, a, is a relatively lower probability to win, although it's probably still 35%. You can't give that up at this point in the year. Um, or, or do you – but then you would still have Lamar for the Steelers game to end the year. So would that be a worthwhile you know, risk to take uh, to, to give Huntley two more games effectively if he starts against Cincinnati? 
Yeah, I think I think it's interesting. I I wonder whether that could play into their decision making, but I also I also feel like this this coaching staff is kind of all uber competitive and if they have a if they have a Lamar that they think is going to be a better bet to win a game than Huntley that they would go into that they wouldn't make those calculations I feel like in the Ram with the Rams game they would just go in and they would plug Lamar in and play the game. But I I I, I think it's it should play into it should factor into the decision making and it, it should there should be a, a degree of risk that they're accepting with Lamar uh, uh, in terms of the injury and how much it compromises his mobility um and they should if they reach that level then they sh- then they should go with Huntley um and and maybe it gets better the week after and then the, and then they they can bring Lamar back in but i think yeah i think it's something that should play into the de- into the decision making probably the long term health right all right. Well, that uh, certainly is uh, a lot on that. Let's move on. I, Ravens scheme, I've been talking about this week to week, but there's big changes scheme-wise week after week. You know, quarterback differences, Patrick Ricard being out, all kinds of things. But uh, let's start with the absence of Ricard because I think it's really the biggest thing that changes the Ravens offense even more than Huntley uh, is you go from this very heavy unit to a very light one, frankly. So, you know, not only do you have Ricard snaps, but you think about the other tight ends, full backs and the six offensive linemen they only had 1.4 per play in this week they had 1.22 last week that was the season low but they were as high as 1.96 against the chargers that's vastly different because every time you put a heavy on the on the field you're essentially taking a wide receiver off the field yeah and i think the the one so the 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 area that you having Boyle back allowed them to go from one point two two to one point four. I think yep. you know Boyle kind of came in on a number of situations and actually played fullback a couple of times. I uh, lined up there, so I think having Boyle back was was good for that sense. But it's just you're right. It's just a to- It is a different offense. The, the, they they do different things and they they find other ways to run the ball on you rather than having the the heavy sets in there. And sometimes actually it's it. I mean, actually, this week it, it kind of worked um, against this defense. And I think it worked against this defense because this defense is trying to run the Vic Fangio style defense where you have a light box and you dare, dare teams to yep. run the ball. And it just, it you know, that, I mean, we can talk about this a bit, but I do feel like Green Bay's defense is, they're not, they're not yet a Vic Fangio style defense. The safeties don't have the same kind of trigger. So it did kind of, it did work at this point um, against that Green Bay defense. And it, it kind of fell happily in that sense. I did feel like the Ravens' sort of natural tendencies, not not the heavy set stuff, but the the kind of normal natural tendencies, the middle of the field targeting, um, Mark Andrews being their their main weapon, actually fit really nicely with the weaknesses of the Packers' right. defense. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. And and I, you know, Latavius Murray having a big game after all those non-big games he's had, <laughs> is a very good indication that that everything is just going right. Because, I mean, he was strictly a power between the B-gaps guy in this in this game. He's A-gap, A-gap, pretty much every single run. And, uh, you know, it was, it was very effective at it and uh, just ran straight ahead, ran over people. Uh, they got good blocks. They got good level two connections on players. They got very good double teams at the line of scrimmage that were effective. Um in some ways, you know, more effective even than their pass blocking. The pass blocking was pretty good in this game. So, yeah, those uh, those a gaps as well. The a, those a gap runs are the are the type that the Packers have struggled with most of the season, sort of straight up the middle. And you you know take Kenny Clark out of that lineup as well. It's just yes. doubly doubly a problem on that a gap. 
yeah, that's he was a big loss for them. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the the Packers know your foe guest was lamenting that uh, at the time. I, I, this is really strange for the Ravens, and they have not varied much from having a running back over every play. The Packers, by the way, a running back on every single play. But the Ravens, I think last week they had five plays without a running back. This week it went up to 12 plays without a running back. And so you've got Devonta Freeman and you've got Latavius Murray. If you're going to split them five wide, there's not really enough value created there to want to have them on the field in, a, in an obvious passing situation. And, and I think the, the, the Ravens are now just kind of discovering that, that Freeman is not really an explosive receiver. He's been a decent swing receiver out of the backfield, but I think if you, if you line him up wide, he basically his value goes to zero. Murray, I don't think he ever had any value wide, but they, what they had done is they'd line him up as a chipper, as kind of like a tight end occasionally. In fact, Lamar had moved him into that position in the Oakland game, for example, and said, no, look, Max Crosby keeps getting to me. You stand up here and chip him, uh, which I loved, but but they didn't really use him that much um, in this way in this game. And I, 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 I think the fact that Roman took all the running backs out on 12 plays is a very good sign for his adaptability. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? I think he I, – I, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think he the, – the way in which that they – they attacked this offense was was smart. Like he, uh, Roman, for me, had a re- had a really good game um, as a play caller in this game. You know, he's he's had a, a up and down season, but I'm not I'm not one that gets on him gets on him um, week on week. I think he he is a good offensive coordinator, and I feel like this was a really good game. The way he managed Huntley, the way he um, sort of took away a lot of the potential for, especially. You know those 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 five wide plays that you saw. Some of them were some of them were rollouts. Some of them were uh, you know mm-hmm. th- those loads of high reads that you've talked about. It was it was it was really different ways in which to neutralize a pass rush that's been that's been difficult. And again, targeting the middle of the field. You know when when they went five wide, there were times when you know you got a couple of slants and he was and they hit Prochet um, for against the th- on a third gain. down, I yeah. think, for that eight yard gain. And uh, you know that just neutralized any kind of pass rush that the that the Packers could bring. So I, I felt like. They they, they did a di- it was a different different strategy for for protect for protecting Huntley this right this it, week that it was, it was I could not find on next gen what the time to throw stat was yet but that I'm really interested in seeing for Huntley because I know it had to be very quick uh, this week it was it was definitely a different type of offense they were running and and uh, it really showed up in some of the other numbers we'll get to that in a little bit we'll talk to about a few other things here um, they never really went to the no huddle against the Packers I think that's a good thing I Huntley seemed to have kind of an issue with it um, the previous week of having alacrity at all, getting the line of scrimmage, and they end up going for an onside kick rather than having a chance to make the Browns uh, at least get a first down against them. And of course, they got the onside kick and then they couldn't move the football, but the, the, the inability to get to the line of scrimmage seemed to be a problem last week. This week, they're never really forced into that no huddle, as I mentioned, but they they uh, uh, scored in a leisurely manner going up the field. And I, on the drive, I believe Hollywood had five receptions. And they were all between three and five yards, for example. Yeah. So a whole, bunch, a whole bunch of short passes, drove up the field, finally scored. Um, and, and there's 447 left, but, but it's unusual that you would have a five-minute drive to score when you're down two scores at that point in an NFL game. Yeah, it was really, it was a really interesting drive. It was, it was just take, taking what the defense was giving them and, re, you know, it was a, yeah, it was, I, I would agree. 
Okay. Uh, talk about one other thing. The set and ship blockers is something that's interested me in terms of the differences all year. We went from Miami where they had 33 set blockers and two chip blockers in a game, which is just unbelievable to me. But that was a result of, you know, the, the Miami loading the line of scrimmage the way they did. Um, this game, nine set blockers and 10 chip blockers. And the, and the, the Packers are predominantly a four-man rush team or have been for the year, but in this game, they rushed 32% five-plus. So they really they wanted to get in Huntley's face and make him make some mistakes, which he fortunately did not. Didn't have any real I – don't, I don't remember really an interceptable ball. Do you remember anything that was really nope. dangerous to him? Yeah. And I, 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 this was this was something I thought they might do. You know, you saw it. Um, uh, you know, I do a lot of prep for the for the opponents um, for battle plans for Russell Street Report, and um, I, this was something I sort of suspected they might do with the with the five man well five man front basically all day long, whether it was run or pass, pretty much. Mm-hmm. I, I, I did wonder whether they would go this route, just because you've got you've got that kind of. <laughs> it's the same kind of mindset as Fangio who, who did load the line of scrimmage against them as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I do feel like there was something in that they did. They did do it slightly different to the way Fangio did things when, when he came up against the Ravens, because there was a much lighter box most of the time, but that those five, five men down, I did wonder whether that would be the way they would go. And so it was, it, it yeah, it was interesting. They did go that route. Yeah, they, they really, I, uh, one of the things we do when we're scoring the offensive line play is I call out the line of scrimmage to Maureen as we go. So I go, uh, you know, she says it's a pass play. Actually, they show four, they bring it four zero, whatever. They showed four a lot in this game. They did, they did have some five, and I'm not disputing that. And they had 32 times, you know, 32% of the time they rushed five. But it was a it was a fairly mixed set of fronts that they showed the Ravens. And I thought that was interesting um, that they really tried to, I mean, I, I guess I would expect them to try to confuse Huntley you know, being a young quarterback, but, uh, but I thought that was interesting. And, and, and what I thought was good coming out of this was that they didn't feel the need to do too much in terms of, of holding guys, uh, holding guys into block Point forty six per play. That's about what I expect um, to have only nine of them be sets and have some chips. That's good. Cause it gives you that secondary option, even though a chipping, you know, you, I know, you know, this uh, James, but a chipping, uh, receiver has a very limited set of routes that he can actually help the offense. So if you're if you're having a, a, a player chip, he's a leak out. He's an option on extended play. You might get him out into the flat. You might you, you might get him you know on a on a uh, a quick out route at the line of scrimmage kind of thing. But or, or maybe over the middle even if it, after after three seconds. But it's it's very difficult to have anything develop. And there's certainly nothing like the stem of the route tree. You're you're running up and then making a choice of where do I go from there. That would you know the play would be eleven seconds long before you had a chance to catch the football. And, and the thing is about this team, about the Packers as well, is that you know they, they, there's been talk about how they have they've been a, a good pass rushing team despite losing for Zedary Smith for so long. But actually, this they, they are middle of the road in terms of pressure mm-hmm. rates. Like they're, they're not something outstandingly special as a pass as a as a pressure defense. So it did sort of make sense to me that they would throw a bit more at Huntley and you know be be content with less traffic in the secondary because they would they they'd be happy for for guys to be covered and to be. To be fair, you know, outside of outside of Andrews, they could, you know, when we get to talk about Bateman, I felt Russell Douglas played a really good game on Bateman. You know, there was mm-hmm. a lot of good coverage from that the Packers played, so it probably is the right way to go. Uh, it's just the the Ravens were well prepared for it this week, I think. Right? Yeah, I would agree. Um, okay. 
uh, I did want to mention this. This is a read and react use of running back. So, so that, that nine and 10 set chip blocker number, your, your chip blocker number can be inflated when the opponent brings five because the running back's responsibility changed. So if you have a, if you have a tight end who either a tight end who's in line or a tight end lined, lined up, uh, I, I consider them kind of not in line as soon as their feet are uneven uh, even if they're not really separated from the tackle by very much. So if their feet are uneven, they're going out for a pass. If they're, if they're way up on the, uh, on the line of scrimmage, as you often see a tight end be ahead of a tackle, kind of a, you know, a helmet ahead, he, he, may, he may be throwing a chip, but, he's, but his major intention is to get off that line of scrimmage. So the key player is the, is the running back who has a chance to make a chip block uh, as the play develops. And it's kind of like green dogging from inside linebacker to blitz your responsibility changes. If you see the running black block back blocking, or as if you're the running back, you try and block someone who's coming on the blitz. And as soon as you see that's not happening, you're free to release and, and go out. So a lot of that nine and 10 number is, is tied to that running back alternate responsibility. All right, let's see. Um, offensive line had 15 pulls in this game. They made them all. By the way, this was really an impressive game of getting their pulls lined up. Uh, I, I'm seeing middle-of-the-road grades from Ben Cleveland, who I thought played really well, but he made seven of his seven pulls in this game. He was a big uh, um, point of this. They didn't have the kind, same kind of opportunity to run a, a – pulling offense and show a lot of run action the entire game as we've, we've noticed that's really helped the Ravens before in terms of disguising when they're running or passing. Uh, but, uh, but they did in the first half and they, they effectively controlled that first half uh, pretty well for the first three drives of their own and two drives of the Packers or one drive of the Packers, I guess. We'll probably um, get into this a little bit when we get into Cleveland, but I, I felt like some of Cleveland's pulls specifically, uh, while they made contact and were sort of serviceable, missed sort of mi- missed the point of some of their of some of their running plays. I felt so. We'll get into that with Cleveland, but I think it was sure. interesting to see the strategy evolve that they were using pullers. It was fifty is fifteen more than you've you've tracked on on previous games, or is no, that they've, about, had, they've had many more than that in the past? Yeah, and in fact, you know, the, the Bradley Bozeman had twenty five in a game personally last year, so we, we've we've. Yeah, we've seen bigger numbers. Yeah, that's what I that's what I expected. I th- I think that they, you know, it was it was a it was a day for a, a slightly different uh, run strategy against the Packers, and that's that's what we saw play out. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about Huntley a little bit. He had thirteen ample time and space opportunities in forty one plays. That's thirty two percent. Here's what was really good: only eight pressure events out of forty one. That's terrific. Only twenty percent. Uh, that of uh, the time that they get that they get uh, pressure within three seconds. Now it wasn't all ample time and space, as I just said. It was only thirty-two percent. So forty-eight percent of the pass plays were ball out quick, which means the ball was out before there was a chance for pressure to develop, and within three seconds. And uh, that was the bulk. That was the meat of the Ravens' offense in this game. Was these quick re- read and release plays. Yeah, they they really put him in a lot of those situations and and lots of half field reads as well, uh, where just half the field was just uh, completely negated. Uh, they they did it a lot, and I, to, 
it was it was a great strategy. You know, it was the training wheels strategy for for a quarterback, yes. which I, I thought was a was a really smart thing to do. And actually, I might want to see a little bit not training wheels. I wouldn't want to call it that, but some mm-hmm. some a little bit of this roll in uh, if Lamar comes back into the into the um, into the offense, um, maybe a little bit more of this where it's kind of a bit more scripted and a bit more uh, yeah, a bit more like Mike Conley was playing through. There were definitely times when there were when he was asked to read the whole field and when he did do a good job processing but you know there were also a heavy as a heavy dose like you mentioned 48 percent a ball out quick is 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 high and so to get him in those situations where he can be successful which is a very smart thing to do yeah i i thought it made a lot of sense and and he's he's not had the really great pocket awareness in particularly that lamar has lamar bounces out of pressure eyes down the field i mean he's he's a he is unaffected by Villanueva getting pulled right into him most of the time. He just he, he bops out and and you know it's just that's a really rare trait that Lamar has and and is very special. Huntley doesn't have it, and if he gets turned around in the pocket in any direction, if he's forced to roll left, he forgets where everybody is spatially, and he often you know can, something bad can happen and uh, and he can lose the football. Uh, but he's he, you know this game of getting the ball out quickly great for him you know he still triggered some good run plays from the pocket too so so he had some uh, opportunity there i thought it was a, a you know outstanding game in a lot of ways for him i couldn't agree more all right you know we, we talked briefly about this front to back read style but that's like it's kind of a hallmark of the west coast offenses you, you often read front to back but i i would almost describe this game as andrews to front to back <laughs> so i'm looking at andrews now he's not open front okay back <laughs> yeah and it was it was virtually always i'm looking at andrews throw the ball to andrews <laughs> yeah there, were, there wasn't a lot of move to it well they moved to the front a little bit but definitely didn't get to the back very often yeah, he, he did a very good jo- job of making space in the middle of that field or, or making himself available uh, where he had the defender boxed out in ways and still got good yards after the catch. Even though there was some decently close contested catches, that first guy missed a couple times and he was off to the races in terms of some uh, some contact. We don't think of Mark Andrews or maybe Ravens fans do, but I don't think most people in the NFL think of um, Mark Andrews as being Gronkowski or uh, who's the other guy for Pittsburgh Kittle. that played? Uh, Kittle would be good. And McDonald. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but McDonald was way overhyped in that one Monday night game against the Ravens. And then he fumbled. <laughs> I love that. They had their whole story was written and it ruined it. And it, was, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I, I, He's not really thought of the same way as being a a bulldozer down the field, but he's very effective after the catch. Yeah, he really is, and and he does it in different ways as well. I just uh, I think is a very underrated part of his game, and is you know a, a part of a part of the game that is underrated in general, actually. And I do think that he you know he brings a lot with that, and and you know that those kind of numbers are ridiculous. The the guy is. Um, you know, the guy, the guy's having an incredible season and mm-hmm. to have it as well in a year when he signed a big contract and we often hear players check out and not, yeah. not do or not do as well. You know, he's, he's stepping up and, and he is the offense at the moment. He's the, he's the guy that, w- that you can't lose on the offensive side of the ball. Otherwise this thing's over. Right. I, I agree. I mean, they've got other, they've got a few other weapons, but they're, they're B weapons where he's the A weapon right now. No doubt about it. And maybe when Lamar comes back, you know, Brown gets some more deep balls. Bateman gets a few more deep balls or crossers or you know is able to um uh, annoy defensive backs at the top of the route and make, get them to make some mistakes uh that'll be good but right now it's andrews and huntley and and uh the other people not uh, not so great in terms of what's going on they left bateman you know pretty much completely out of the offense he had only two targets and 65 snaps he led the wide receivers in snaps 
uh, but only two targets, which is disappointing to say the least. Um, I have not really scoured through the all 22 yet to see if he was open on a lot of plays. Uh, so I need to do that. But, but uh, what have, have you seen anything? Yeah, I had a look at it. Uh, he, so like I said before, they had him. So uh, the big strength of, of Rashad Bateman in terms of, you know, if you're going to do player evaluation on him, you're, you're going to talk about how he plays against zone. He's very good against zone coverage. He finds the hole very well in, in, in the soft spot in the zone. The, the Packers didn't run a whole lot of zone on him. They they had Russell Douglas manned up on him most of the time, and Russell mm-hmm. Douglas did a good job. Uh, I was interested to see that when you when you start to look at him in general, what you start to get a feel for is that he was on the opposite side to the rollouts a lot, um, and he was right. on the opposite side to Andrews and Brown a lot, which is what you would expect from the ex receiver. Uh, but he was just he just was was on the decoy side an awful lot and just didn't get the didn't get the opportunities. I don't think he was as open in this game as I've seen him open in other games. So I do think uh, the Packers did a good job of covering him. Uh, but I, and I think that there's lots still to come from Bateman. I'm a very big Bateman fan, but I think this was a game where he was quiet somewhat because of the the way the Ravens attacked the Packers and somewhat because of the fact that he was he was well covered and on a lot of snaps. Yeah, it's a great point about being opposite the rollout. That immediately does take your your X receiver out of the play. And honestly, I think that's been one of the things that's held back Miles Boykin a little bit in in the last couple of years. And obviously, he's a polarizing figure in Baltimore, but he's done a lot for the Ravens in the run game where he's very present wherever they run the ball left or middle, but but he's much less present in the passing game. But I agree with that point. It's a good one. And that's one thing about Bateman in this week, actually. He he got very involved in the run game at times and really yeah. threw himself in there. So that was good yeah. to see. Yeah, it, it is. It's always good to see from any any receiver at all, but a particular young receiver, I don't want to see them giving up on blocks ever. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't like it from Chad Johnson either, but I, but I like it less from a, from a young receiver. Um, Huntley ran the ball fairly effectively. Um, one of the things that I've, I've made the point of several times is that I don't think he reads leverage anywhere near as well as Lamar, but that's okay because what boxer could, could understand the punch was coming anywhere close to what Muhammad Ali could do. And, and uh, Jackson is in a, in a league of his own among all athletes, all sports in terms of reading opponent leverage. And uh, really, it's, it's not fair to expect the same out of Huntley, but it's definitely one of the things that I don't want people to forget how great Lamar is when they're having this internal to their own head quarterback controversy <laughs> that's going on. I mean, you're so right. It's just he's on a different on an, a completely different level. And it's just it's. It goes beyond instinctive. It's almost, it's it's like innate. I don't, I don't know if there's an I don't know if innate's the right word. It's just it's it's beyond instinctive. It's just it's um it's just part of him, and we'll never see anyone else like him. I don't think. I I don't either. I mean Barry Sanders, Gail Sayers, and you know, and and him, and you could, there there've been players in the NBA probably that had similar kind of leverage reading instincts to what he's got. But it's it's remarkable. I've talked about it so much on the show. I, I I'm sure people are tired about it. Let's move on to the offensive line. Uh, great great performance. I thought for the offensive line in general. I mean certainly an outstanding pass blocking performance. With we've already talked about with Huntley a lot. Um, they. Uh, did not have any part in the sack. That was an ATS sack. They also did not ATS or a, uh, I don't have it in front of me, actually make sure this year because they don't want to be wrong on something like this, like a sack. The sack minus four was an ATS place was after three seconds that sack happened. Um, and, and it was one of those things where he left a clean pocket and then the, 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 uh, uh, 
all the offensive linemen were disadvantaged, let's say, in terms of how they could block. Um, Villanueva had his best game of the season, and by far, it was not even close. Uh, he had only one pressure allowed, a third of a quarterback hit, and after we've been watching Villanueva get bulldozed back into the quarterback all season, this was a really nice thing to see. Uh, six missed boxes, I scored it last week, a 28 versus Cleveland. That was .19 on his raw score and a .09 adjustment for Garrett who's a tough player, but you got to still do better than that. And this week, 0.87 adjusted, so that's an A-. And he had, he had not been higher than a C-plus the entire year previously. No, and I like that you pointed out on our on your on the show on our pre-show sheet about uh, the quality of competition with um, Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary. Like this was not um, this was not an easy game for him. I think it naturally it does naturally fit him a little bit in the sense that he will you know it'd be interesting to see him go up against Darius Smith because he right. does sometimes struggle with that power. But he, I just thought he had a really solid game, and and I, we really should call that out because he's taken a lot of a lot of flack um, for his play. And I do think he's a he's a, a really good locker room guy. And I also think that the, he does have these games where you know where he's able to hold up on that side. And that's that's there's something to be said for that. Like it's difficult to find a replacement left tackle who can have those type of games against quality NFL opponents. Right. I, I think maybe more importantly with Villanueva is the type of pressure that he allows because he still mirrors pretty well, even though he's undersized for a left tackle. He's, his frame is not really uh, what it would be ideal for a left tackle anymore. He's he's uh, not he's he's underweight for a left tackle for starters. So he's susceptible to the bull rush there, but he's also uh, just just not the exact frame you'd want. Not a lot of sand in the pants, as uh, as Mayock and other people would say. But but he uh, he does a good job of mirroring, still has pretty good feet. And when he, when he is giving up pressure, it's often by bull rush where he's getting bull directly into the quarterback, but that doesn't necessarily leave the opponent's hands free outside his frame to get at Lamar. And Lamar being very good with that pressure has still made Villanueva a play a marginal player whose characteristics you can kind of live with that was an interesting thing bill james said a long time ago about baseball is try and find the marginal play what marginal characteristics you can live with given your ballpark and how that changes things and and given who lamar is villanueva's marginal characteristics are actually not a killer I, I completely agree. You know, um, my, uh, over the summer, Mike Crawford, um, a friend of this pod, I think, and, and yep. like uh, uh, one of my friends, uh, it, uh, encouraged me to do the the scouting academy. And so I did the scouting academy over the summer. And one of the things that you're encouraged to do when you're making a projection is, can you do you win because of this player, or can you win with this player? And okay. you know, Villanueva is a guy you can win with in certain circumstances in the right scheme with the right players around him, and this and and it's exactly the point you just made we can win the Ravens can win with Villanueva in this situation yeah and but but he is not likely going to be the, the player you win because of and it's certainly at this point they paid him a lot of money and I, I do believe he's going to be cut at the end of this year I don't believe yeah. it makes sense for the Ravens to bring him back they, I guess they could renegotiate the salary down so maybe there's a way to do it but the Ravens they really need, need to fix their tackle group and because they've got Stanley um in purgatory right now or whatever you want to call it. They don't, they don't, I don't think they really know where he'll be next year. Um, they, they need to figure out uh, with additional players, what's really going on. I don't, I don't even know that, you know, with John James right now, what they have, he's, he, he, they probably do not. So it means draft a tackle. It means probably sign a tackle at, at some sort of level and then, and then work with what you got to, to try and see if your other tackles can go back, but they can't go in with, with no backup plans like they did this year um, at offensive tackle. 
No. All right, let's talk Cleveland because I know you had some some comments about this. First start, first time he's played even 50% of the snaps. He was in the 40s, about three games where he was splitting time with um, uh, Powers, and that Powers, of course, had the foot injury, didn't play. Cleveland gave up two full pressures in this game. He had a false start, very costly, on fourth and one that moved him to fourth and six. But I would say overall he looked very good. He looked good, um, held up pretty well, showed a pretty decent anchor in the passing game. Oh, he was one of the players – and I, you probably noticed some of this too, where I had to kind of judge whether or not something was a pressure or a ball out quick because the pressure was certainly developing with a bull rush against him or against Bozeman in some cases. Um, but but I thought overall he played very well. I had good comments about the run game too. But first of all, what do you have to say? Yeah, I think so. For me, I, I couldn't agree more with you on the on the anchor. I felt like he he did deal with with the bull rush pretty well, and I and I actually thought his pass protection was probably marginally better than than Powers's pass protection, uh, or at least my projection of his past protection into the future, I think is, is, is that he, he has more of a, uh, more of an upside there. Mm-hmm. I think in the run game, and I, I want to preface this with the fact that, you know, cause I, I don't want to get labeled a Ben Cleveland hater. Cause I'm not, I, I do like Ben Cleveland and I liked him in the draft. I thought the third round, the, the third round was about the place he should go. And I felt like it was a great fit with the Ravens, but there were plenty of limitations that I, that I was, I was concerned about what I saw, I think was them putting in him in, Good situations. I thought in the run game they put him in situations where he can win. So they they put him in situations where he can down block, where he can drive block. They didn't ask him to do too much with reactive athleticism in space at the second level, which I think is where he's weakest. He's in line. He's, you know, he's great, but actually when you get him having to react to stuff, I, and I think the pulls specifically. I, you know, I, I, I locked, sorry, I locked into Cleveland quite a bit because I knew there'd be some chat about it outside of this pod as, especially. And I, I, I think with the pull specifically, he just, I felt he missed, I felt he missed the point of the play a couple of occasions. There were, the Green Bay was sending their ends, ends quite deep up the field. And there was one or two, or there was definitely one that might have been a second where he is pulling around and he goes to kick out the end. There's one specifically where Hollywood was coming across the formation and he, it was his, it was the intention of Hollywood Brown to come across the formation to occupy Gary, obviously not block him, but occupy him coming up the field. And Cleveland needed to turn up through the hole and get upfield. And he didn't do that. He went out and blocked Gary. And there was a second occasion when him and Villanueva were both pulling and he didn't hit Gary hard enough as he came to came to the end of his pull and Gary knocked him back into Villanueva and meant Villanueva's pull <laughs> was ruined. So I felt there were a couple of occasions where he was weak on the pulls and I, you know, I, I would, I would want to see a, a you know, I want to see improvement from him, but he's a rookie on very limited snap count. I think he's got plenty of time and I've seen some improvement on some, the double teams were really good this week. He's, he's struggled on double teams before. I think I've, I've struggled with him releasing to the second level, his timing. I thought he was really good with Bozeman this week on the double teams. Mm-hmm. So that there's, there's definite improvement there from this guy. Um, so I'm, 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 you know, I'm, <laughs> I, I feel there's potential going into the future, but I felt there were some things this week that I, I didn't like, but that's great. He's got stuff to work on. I'm going to look at the polls again, in particular the counterplay you're talking about, because it can only be one of two that I've got on my sheet. It's either the second to last play of the second drive, or it's in quarter four, the third play, the third offensive play they ran. It's one of those two. Do you happen to remember which? The vill- the, the one where Villanueva runs into him, or the... Yeah, the, 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 that one, the one where Villanueva runs into That him. one was late. That one was later, I think. Okay, so fourth quarter, there's yes. an RR minus one on the play. I think it's that one, yeah. Okay, I'll take a look at it. 
appreciate that. That's 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 great stuff. And, and you know, sometimes I thought you were going to probably tell me something about striking the wrong side of the midline or whatever that 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 would have been the would have been the problem. But look to me like the pulls he connected on, he really does a lot of shock movement at that point. And you would expect that because he's a much bigger guy than anybody he'll he'll be blocking. Well, probably than anybody else on the field, but then certainly then he'll be blocking. And he's moving and he moves pretty well. And I know, you know, there's there's problems about maybe him having not the best feed at the first step. Okay, I can buy that part. But he's when he gets moving, he's faster than and more athletic, frankly, than the other Ravens offensive linemen, and particularly Bozeman, who's who's considerably slower, um, but but was you know adapted to be an outstanding polar with the Ravens. Yeah, I think one of the things that they did, and th- my hypothesis for what they did was they told him. So I I felt like I, when I when I saw him at Georgia, and I've seen him, at, and the, the little mm-hmm. we've seen him with the Ravens, I felt when he gets to the second level. Um, either from a, a releasing from a double team or fr- when he's pulling and he's there's no one there to block and he's out into the second level. He struggles with with who to go to. When he's got a, a yeah. route that he needs to run, he's fine. He's straight line, no problem. But when he has to look and he has to react, he has he has trouble locating. And that I felt was what I felt they, they told him to do was pull and just hit the first thing you see. Right. And I think that's, that was helped him on some pulls, but it did, it, it didn't help him on others. The, the other thing I thought the shock thing that you, that you mentioned, I, I totally agree. He does shock. He definitely does shock on that initial contact. But one of the thing, the other, I don't want to pile on the kid. One of the mm-hmm. things I was disappointed this week was um, they gave him a lot of, a lot of simple drive blocks where he did have that initial shock and then he doesn't drive his feet he just he just stops and the finish isn't quite there so he's getting better with his positioning and his fitting but his finish and I, when i say finish i don't i don't need to see him driving a guy into the turf i need to see the block functional um for a finish and i felt like he didn't drive his feet as much on contact to be able to make that block as functional as i would have liked this is me going hyper like hypercritical trying to I, look for places to improve but I, yeah. I don't think that's unfair at all and and it is something to look for with regard to the to the finding the first guy to block thing that will come with experience. And it's kind of like yeah. I have the I have the expectation that a rookie inside linebacker should be able to affect the play between level two and level three. And I'm constantly reminded by a variety of people, but mostly Michael Crawford, that, <laughs> that that comes with experience and you can't expect that out of a rookie linebacker. The fact that it's still not there is still a problem, but I will I you know it's it's something that that I hope inside linebackers can do. Uh, his I think a lot of things like that. And a lot of this comes down to play speed for an offensive lineman where, you know, you're taking that first step correctly because you're, you're, you know, frog visioning the field. You're giving it the widest possible peripheral vision to, to try and find that, that player in level two or level three that might be the best target for you. And it does, it, it does take time. I, I you know, the, the guy who probably I, I would say had the best instincts with it isn't even an offensive lineman. It's a fullback. Vontae Leach, the Coke machine, you know, he would, he would go and he would never turn to a side to make a block in level two. He would go in level two and he'd, he'd go, I need to conserve my momentum. That is the first call. And then I will find the guy within this cone where my momentum is conserved, where I'll do the most damage. And so I, it's going to be interesting to see how Cleveland reacts to this and whether he, he uh, uh, you know, gets better at a couple of these things. I think the, the, the criticism is very fair in terms of uh, not trying to um, pull to hit a guy who is being left alone on the play intentionally on, an, on, a, on a mesh play. Uh, so we'll we'll have to take a look at that, and uh, and uh, hopefully in, in the future that's not a problem. But they get Ben Cleveland now for a while. I've got one more thing to say about Ben. 
And that is that one of the things I really liked about him at Georgia was his processing on pass blocking uh, going from center to left in particular. Well, actually, he was at right guard, right, at Georgia. So he, he played, you know, would have been going from center to right. But but either way, at the NFL level, I thought we saw some of that in this game. I think it might have helped Villanueva some because he, he looked to pin up his uh, player for Bozeman. Once Bozeman had the block, he quickly shifts over to a help block on Villanueva. And there were at least a couple of times where that worked out profitably. And and I love to see that because that's what the Ravens really need as much as anything right now with their weak tackle situation is to figure out how to get those guys more help. And, uh, and I, I think that's a positive for Cleveland I can point to from this game. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's that uh, he looks he's he looked for work really well in this game. I was I was impressed with that too. All right, let's move on to Bozeman. That was definitely the most interesting conversation on the offensive line in a while. Thank you for that, James. Um, Bozeman, one and a half pressures in this game were his only negative events. I had him for only one missed block and A for the game. Really good pass blocking game, and he's been playing exceptionally well. I'm uh, Bradley Bozeman is making himself some money right now. He really with is. What he's doing. Yeah. yeah, he really is, isn't he? He's I, the thing I was most impressed with in this game was, you know, no, no Kenny Clark. It's, you know, it's Kingsley Kiki. It's Tedderell Slayton. Tedderell Slayton, I quite liked coming out actually of the draft this year. Um, but he's a rookie and, you know, he's, he's, you know, so what it was just boringly dominant, you know, and that, and that's what you want to see from a, from a solid center. You want to see him take these guys who are less than solid, who are adequate or, or, or worse. And, and just not have any, not have any issues. And he didn't, he had no issues whatsoever. Um, and he was, he was helping Cleveland a little bit as well. You saw the community, you could see the communication at the line of scrimmage. He mm-hmm. was, he was good for that too. I just think he's, he, you're right. He's making some money because he's a solid center who doesn't make mistakes. We haven't seen any missed snaps this year. I, I, he's definitely making himself some money that, that, that is rare when you can get a guy like that. Right. I, I think I have also personally seen I think the velocity of snaps has not been something or the or the low snaps in recent weeks has not been a, as bad. Earlier in the year, he's throwing a lot of 12 to six curveballs. You know, there were, there were arcing snaps that were ending up low and they took too much time to get there, which meant that was bad. Now, in recent weeks, not really a problem. I don't grade his snaps anyway within my system. So, in, you know, how I've looked at it, he's played pretty damn well. And uh, and he's uh Unfortunately, he may be pricing himself out of Baltimore with this. He may end up like a Ryan Jensen type contract where somebody else really wants him. He's got a lot of the other locker room characteristics and the community characteristics that a lot of teams are going to love with him, too. Yeah. Okay, Kevin Zeitler, not his best game. Three and a half pressures allowed within three seconds. I, 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 you'll see other published sources. I'll have him with less pressures allowed. That's because the three second standard is more rough. And, and so he ends up with a couple of more where he gets backed into the cone. Um, a third of a quarterback hit uh, did go five for five on his polls. Uh, it, it was a C game. And, you know, we come to look at that as like, that's a really bad game for Zeitler. What's wrong? Because he played so well for so long. Uh, really has only had a couple of bad games this year, Detroit. And one of the ones recently, it, uh, two games ago, I believe against Pittsburgh, he didn't play that well. Uh, so he's, he's otherwise played very well for the season. Yeah, it was interesting. I'd, um, uh, th- this is this is very much conjecture, so I, I don't want to. But watching him for the Giants, um, I felt he when he th- when he felt like he had to cover for a lot of sins on other offensive linemen's part. I felt he had worse games, and while David Sharp actually would 
had a had an okay game when he came mm-hmm. in. I wonder whether he did feel like with David Sharp coming in, he was going to have to do more, and there was a bit of that going into his right. mindset. But that's conjecture. I can't back that up with anything. So I did that. That could have played into it. But it was a for me. I would agree. It was a. It was a. It was a. It was a okay game for him. And obviously, we expect a, a lot more from him. I would say when he started the season, I was a little disappointed, and and I felt like he strung together a few sort of okay games mm-hmm. to, to start the season where I, where I expected him to be really good. That's not been the case in the past sort of five, six games. So I, we've, we've seen a lot of improvement from him, but for this week, uh, yeah, I, I, I was with you on that front. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. The comment you make about sharp that, Zeitler was thinking too much about helping him because, I mean, Clark, uh, sorry, uh, Sharp played extremely well in this game. I mean, I thought he, he was just outstanding. Um, let's talk about Phillips first. Yeah. He, he obviously started the game, played 23 snaps. Poor game before the knee injury, honestly. Um, they had actually, I, I don't know if you, you probably did notice this, but they took him out before the injury. So they put Sharp in to play a series uh, and and the Ravens moved right down the field and scored. Now Sharp did allow pressure on the very first snap, but then made the rest of his blocks for for that series. I thought looked really good. Um, then they put Phillips back in, and then two plays later, Phillips got hurt. So they're obviously they're trying to think about some kind of a rotational system, try and get an evaluation on Sharp to see what they had. Uh, I think he passed with flying colors in the second half, and of course Phillips now being hurt would be an indication that Sharp's going to get more playing time. Yeah, I, I noticed. I didn't notice it on the broadcast. I know, but I did notice it on the second watch on the All Twenty Two. It was it was strange. It wasn't a good game for Tyree Phillips. I still continue to think he. Um, has been messed around. I think he's. He, I think he's a guard. I think they want him to be versatile, and I think there are only certain types, only certain players can be versatile. That it's versatility in itself is a is a is a skill. I think, um, and it's rare in offensive linemen, and it's usually the best offensive lineman. It's usually an Elton Jenkins that can can move around. Marshall Yanda. So I'm. I, I think that really they they sort of. It's disappointing to me that they gave him such a. It looked like they gave him such a steer from what he was working on in the off season that he was going to be be a guard and that's where he was going to play. And now he's having to play tackle and he's just, you know, it. it he just doesn't have it. Um, I don't think. And and Sharp came in and pl- and played well, as you said. I I, I think it was a, a really interesting game. I'd, I'd like to see him against some of the 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 better competition. I think it'll be in, uh, like Gary is good, but it'll be interesting to see him against some of the more elite competition. He'll come up against in the AFC North. Um, I was a little worried about his hands at times, but that's me projecting into the future f- from this game. It was it was a good game. Yeah, I, I, I first of all, back to Phillips for a second. One pressure, a third of a sack, false start in 23 snaps. It's a D with or without adjustment. So it was a low D uh, prior to adjustment. Then I gave him a decent adjustment for, for Gary, and, and it's still a D. Uh, for Sharp, um, only negative play was that first pressure, the only negative play of the entire game. I, I share some of your concerns about his hands. I, he is not a... Uh, natural striking tackle so he, he kind of puts his hands up to play patty cake rather than try and rather than try and strike the opponent in one shoulder and get him off I, your opponent you've got to assume that he's going to have a pass rush plan and he's got something if you punch him right below the armpit right in an unpadded area on a, on a defensive lineman you immediately change that plan or or there's a chance you can alter that plan that it, that all of a sudden it's not going to be that spin move you thought or all of a sudden he's not going to try and dip the way he was going to and and making that contact has value even if you don't know what that value will be 
Yeah, I completely agree. I, and, and patty cake, she used the patty cake because it was exactly yeah. the phrase that came to mind watching him. Uh, but I, I, you know, that, like I said, that's a projection. We don't know. He's, he, he, he played what he did, played, played what was across from him pretty well in this game. And so let's, let's, let, you know, let, give him a chance. I, it was interesting because Makari was supposed to be close to playing this game, but obviously he didn't. So it, it, I don't know whether that that situation will resolve itself in the next week and, and Sharp ends up not playing, but they've got something there that makes me think they might want to keep Sharp around. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think I, I don't see a way he's not active next week to be at least a backup tackle at, at, a, at a minimum yeah. uh, from, from this game. And, and McCary, if he's back, um, you know, maybe maybe he's the guy to tackle. And, and uh, if the, I don't know if they, if they have a COVID problem on the inside, it wouldn't even shock me if they moved him back inside and allowed Sharp to stay at right tackle, given how well he played there. I don't think Sharp is the guy you move inside necessarily, though. Who knows? You know, we haven't seen much of him. All right, let's move on. Other skill position players. And this is a point in the show. You're the guest. Pick one you'd like to talk about, and then I'll pick one next. I think where I'll go first, just to, to maybe get him out of the way, because it was the one guy that you uh, hadn't uh, mentioned that we might talk about, would be Nick Boyle, um, mm-hmm. who I thought was obviously, <laughs> I'm sort of, maybe I'm making the bridge from the offensive line to, to the skill position players, because maybe Boyle might take on bridge to being called the skill position player. Um, he didn't play that many snaps in this game, which, which, mm-hmm. Uh, I think was 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 dis- was disappointing to me because I love watching Nick Boyle play anyway. But um, it was kind of irritating knowing that without Ricard as well, B- Boyle brings so much in the run game. And I think if if, if Ravens fans want to see what Boyle plays brings in the run game, you should watch just the watch the snaps where he's on the field in the run game in this one, and watch the snaps where he's not on the field, and you see what he brings. You know, he's he's. He's making things go at the point of attack. You know, he, when when it counts, he he is. You know, there's a there's a point uh, when he comes off the field, and I've noticed the play live what he did, and Harbaugh sort of pats him on the back and says, "That was that was you, man," and and it was. He he is um, he's a crucial cog in that run game, and he also allows you to do some different things in pass protection as well. Um, so I, especially against those uh, five-man rushes that we saw as well. So I, it was frustrating that he only got 20 snaps, and hopefully that snap right. count rises. Yeah, uh, hopefully. But I think they, they try and are, are kind of trying to pitch count him here because yeah. if, you th- if you look at who they had, they don't have Ricard. Boyle is the most Ricard-like in terms of his ability to provide those elements of the offense. And if you look back to 2018, you know, with, with after that season, they end up signing Boyle to a big contract. Um, he outsnapped Andrews and Hurst, and Hurst was, you know, compl- wanting to get out of town because he's not getting enough snaps. Um, in that, wait, that was in the 2018 offense, right? Or 19, 19, he was still here, right? Hurst, 19. Mm, yeah, yeah, he's still here, 19. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it's it's the I think it's the 19 offense I'm thinking of that that Boyle led, still led all the, all the players in snaps. So. Um, yeah, I think I think if he could go more, if they felt like he'd be safe going more, they would they would they'd go that. So it's probably going to be a gradual increase. We might see, you know, I'm, I would hope for thirty to thirty five against Cincinnati, given how important a game it is. But maybe they won't even do that. Yeah, I'm sure, and I'm sure he's more frustrated than I am that he's only playing twenty snaps. <laughs> <laughs> probably true. All right, well, we've got the juxtaposition of Mark Andrews at ten point five yards per target. And the rest of the team at 2.9 yards per target. So 27 plays for 80, sorry, 27 plays for 79 yards for the rest of the team, other than Andrews, who had 13 targets for 136. So nothing wrong in terms of the Andrews first 
offense, I suppose, but the but the other receivers in Hollywood in particular, very minimized. Hollywood, 14 targets for 43 yards in this game. Yeah, it was it was really interesting to see, you know, Andrews. <laughs> I think we've, we touched on him a little bit. He just has turned into this, you know, the, the guy in the offense and uh, he's, he's giving you every, everything you want out of a tight end. I, th- I felt this game was a good blocking game for him as well. Actually, I think he yeah. was asked to do a bit more and he did, he, he did that. So I, I just feel like he's just giving everything to this offense right now. And um, he's, he's, yeah, there's, there's not a lot more to say about him. He's a critical player finding ways, using his body better. I think, yeah, right now than he ever has in his career. And it's not like that's been a huge problem, but Mark Andrews has not had the great catch rate you expect out of a really top-tier tight end until just recently. And then Kelsey Titches, 11 out of 11, 10 out of 13. Okay, now we got something. Um, but, but after the 2019 season, he started the season 16 of 17, and then he was under 60% for the rest of the year. Uh, so it's, it, there's been some some stretches in his career where he's had trouble uh, holding on to the football. And, and I think that's uh, that's really improved in, in in recent weeks and and this year in general. He's realizing what kind of dominant body he has, you know, it's it, yeah. you know, and it's and, and to be honest, it's not even body. Con- it's, you know, it is body control at the contested catches, but it's also that that catch in the back of the end zone where he's able to to lay out and contort his body to, to dive to catch the ball. That's, you know, it's rare rare kind of athleticism to be able to do that and run over a guy to, to get a ball. You know, there's the other touchdown where he's, you know, he's just, no one else is catching that ball. <laughs> like, uh, so it's, it's yeah, it's rare to get that that combination out of a guy. Yeah, the, the things we've seen in recent weeks, the, the, the catch despite the pass interference down the right sideline, the coming back for the football in the middle of the end zone, just some stuff. We better appreciate it right now because it won't be around forever. And Andrews, even by the end of this current contract, probably will not be the same player he is right now. Uh, this is this is the greatest Mark Andrews you're ever going to see right now. Yeah, he just he's yeah he's going to put his body on the line continually for the next few years, and I'm glad he got the contract now because he he deserves it, and he, he's and it'd be a lot more expensive if they went yeah. into the offseason. <laughs> hey, it's nice to see the Ravens, you know, get a good contract signed too, because it's not uh, nothing on the players, and I'm not really into the checking out component, but I I do believe that the Ravens had some really been snake bit by injuries on big contracts, and obviously with Stanley, it's true. You could say it's true with Humphrey. You know, they're going to have to obviously make a decision on Lamar. Lamar really, we're not calling that yet. But it was definitely true with with uh, James. Uh, sorry, Pitta as well, Dennis Pitta, uh, years ago. So they've just over the years they've had certainly a lot of problems. I know all teams have some of that, but the amount of trouble the Ravens have had in the first year of of contracts is really bad. And, and those things are the things that alter the course of your franchise. You pay a guy a hundred million dollars, you pay a guy, you know, per year, 10% of your cap or a little bit less, you know, if, if he gets hurt, that's, that's a huge setback for your franchise. Yeah. Okay. Uh, another player. Uh, I suppose Bateman, we, we, we've touched on, but uh, uh, well, we've, probably done more than touch on, but I, um, we're talking about the, the, the strategy that, that was, that was there. I, th- I do think he was kind of left out a little bit in this game uh, because of the things I mentioned earlier about scheme and about the coverage from the Packers, but worth men just mentioning again there. Yeah, I, uh, I, I agree. And, uh, I, I'm not concerned about Bateman. I think Lamar, uh, will, will change the nature of the offense to being more of an extended play offense again. And it'd be interesting. Do you, do you think Lamar's there'll be a reduction in 
number of three-second plays and, and extended plays that Lamar gets with him being on the ankle? Do you think that, that there would be a natural reduction in that? I, I would imagine so. It just it would yeah. just make sense. And I, like I said, I think it would make sense to bring in some element of the training wheels strategy they had for Huntley with Lamar because of the mobility, um, but also probably because of some of the trouble that struggles they've been having with 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 the blitz as well. It would make probably make sense to to bring a little bit of that in. Right. All right. Uh, Latavius Murray, I think we mentioned earlier too, good, good game of power football in the A-gap. Uh, n- not much else to really say about it than that. Uh, he, he does not give you very much else on the field. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't have him on for too many passing plays at all. So he's, he's getting the ball a fairly high percentage of his own touches. Um, he's, he's not really I, – I, I'm trying to think of how often they use the mesh with him to try and at least show the risk of sending uh, Huntley. But I do think, I guess, he, 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 certainly when he's straight ahead running, he's, he's out of pistol on most of those snaps. Yeah, and he he's just the the thing about him that I think is good is is his patience and his vision is 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 very good as a back. And I've always kind of worried about the fact that he he runs runs a bit high, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but he's a tall guy and he's been running that way his entire NFL career, and it's been and it's been fine. So at this point in you in his career, I'm not sure it's something you should be particularly worried about. He gives you what he gives you, and I felt like he was back to like he's he's been down for a few for a couple of weeks after the injury and he's not been giving us giving the ravens what he was giving them earlier in the season uh so he's he just feels like he's sort of back to what you expect out of murray which is those those um that really good vision and hitting the hole hard and and maybe knocking over a few guys and getting some extra yardage every now and then and i, I don't i don't think he gives as much to the, the the challenge with these backs is that they just don't give as much to the offense overall as a dobbins or a gus edwards you know it's just you you can't run the you you mentioned the mesh you can't run the inverted veer with latavius murray and not really with right. devonza freeman because there's just no threat um to the outside with those guys so it does sort to limit the offense with those guys but you know they're, they're doing a solid job yeah i mean they're, they're i i guess freeman has taken a step forward in terms of running the football which is good the ravens overall are still running the football for a decent amount of yards per play which is mostly huntley um but uh yeah i i just i would like to see more uh and and i this is just a really bad year to be without your running backs because there wasn't anybody young and potentially upsideable that was available on other P- other teams practice squads. The COVID last year uh, knocked a lot of running backs, set them back in terms of when they'll be drafted. This is a good year to have a lot of draft picks. I'm looking forward to the Ravens doing it. I'm also looking forward not only to the draft picks, but the UDFAs they get this next year. And they're going to need a lot of players because they're losing folks. Um, they, they should have a really good chance to, to, to pick up some, some talent that way. Uh, we don't do MVPs after a loss. So let's go on. I got two mailbag questions here. I just want to, we'll, we'll go through and do them both here. The first one is from Raymond Dirks, uh, who says, uh, can you please explain the, the Huntley and Westry's contract situations going forward? Um, so, uh, each of them is signed as an exclusive rights free agent right now. Uh, Westry might've been signed as a free agent for, for one year, but, but now next year there'll be exclusive rights free agents where they'll be in their third season and the Ravens can pay them the scale for a third year player. They don't have to pay anything special above that. And they would not. Um, it's, it's possible they might try and sign somebody after the third year to, to a longer deal, but, uh, Huntley and Westry will both be Ravens next year, unless they're traded. 
the other question deals directly with that is in James Lorman's case is with other teams, no doubt, inquiring about Huntley this offseason. What compensation should the Ravens demand to let go of such a valuable asset? Would a second rounder plus a late rounder do it? Let me start with this. First of all, what do you think? Is Do you think there is a, a market for, for uh, Tyler Huntley out there? I think it's an interesting discussion. I think GMs should be having that discussion at the end of the season that a quarterback needy. I, I think it may be inflated because of this quarterback crop in the, in this draft who all have question marks around them. You know, it's not, there's Bryce Young's not coming out. You know, there's not a guy that you're going to, you're going to hang your hat on and say, this is, this is going to be an NFL star. There are guys, there are interesting guys out there who I would, who I would consider. Um, But I think that might inflate the conversation slightly when you've got a guy where you've got a, a now a, a decent, not great, but a, you know, a few games to be able to look mm-hmm. at from an, of NFL tape. So I think is there's definitely going to be a conversation. I think I, I'm not sure there's going to be enough interest in turning your offense because because Huntley is a pocket passer. He he, mm-hmm. but you will need to turn your offense slightly towards the same kind of way the Ravens have turned their offense. Probably not as much as you would with a Lamar, but you probably do need to build in some of that. So you've got to commit to a guy who was undrafted, who you've only had a few games of NFL film on. I'm not sure someone's going to get to the level of compensation that's going to make it worthwhile for the Ravens to give up on a backup like Huntley is, is where I think it goes. Yeah, I think he would need to do more the rest of this year. And, you know, the three touchdowns and one interception are good. Other components about the yards per attempt are not. And so, it, you know, it's, it's not the kind of thing that's going to excite another NFL GM. Uh, I, I, I guess I share some of your questions about what type of offenses you go through. And a lot of that's like, uh, what, how many offenses use a fullback? It's, it's, he's, a, he's a running quarterback. To me, he's very much in the mode of a Terod Taylor, who I think could be a low turnover, you know, game-managing quarterback. And the kind of team that wants him is a contender as a backup, which includes the Baltimore Ravens, by the way. So they're, they're, they're going to want him for that purpose. Or another team that maybe has an unknown, like you're mentioning, maybe they draft a quarterback. They don't know if he's going to play this next year. That's still not the kind of team that is, is going to break the bank in terms of draft picks to trade for Tyler Huntley. So um, I, I just I, I have a hard time seeing a big market for him. So I know people want to believe that's there. I just I'm not convinced that it really exists. Like you, you'd want to, as the Ravens, you'd want to give, you'd want to, you'd want to first, I think, to give up a backup of that quality. And I don't think anyone's going to pay a first round pick. I, I, right. I just, I, I think that's the challenge for him. I, I, I don't think it rises to that. And I, I feel like the a first is steep, but you, you would want, you would want that as the Ravens because his value to you as the backup is, is that, is that kind of level. And so to, for a team to give that up, to get him, I'm not sure you're going to get a team to do that. It, it would be it would be a big risk to trade him. I, I I would say this: if someone offers the Ravens a first, I don't think they can refuse it. No, I, any, anywhere anywhere in the first round, even late. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't think they can refuse it. Um, if if someone offers them a high second, I'm still thinking about it. And and you know they traded Orlando Brown for compensation that was a, a, essentially at the middle of the second round. And if you think about that, that really put the Ravens season in jeopardy and, and it may cause them to pause or it may say, Hey, we do that trade again, you know, cause we had so many other injuries. It wasn't the Orlando Brown trade that really screwed this team. It was everything that went wrong 
um, that, that, that made it not work. I, I think, you know, I have the same thing come up about, about when you really spend money on your team, spend extra dollars to get over a hump, and then are you willing to accept a, a, a down period because of it? And as a season ticket holder, I, I don't want down periods. I, I want my team to be competitive every week. As a writer, I want that. You know, I, I, I don't want to be writing about a, a bad team and trying to find these, you know, thousand points of light that I can see in this field of utter darkness. You know, <laughs> that, uh, you know, have, I, mean, yeah, I think you can appreciate that, right? Yeah, I can, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, just, uh, it's just something that, that, that I, I, I need to have something to look forward to, and, and, uh, and I don't want to go through a 2015 again and 2021 is the brighter side of 2015 but it's still been a very difficult year and you know it's been the kind of thing that that frankly can be kind of depressing about about watching the team play and still realize their prospects in the playoffs are very limited even if they were to make it there yeah, how many different ways can you find to to think about how uh, how how your fourth and fifth string corner is going to cover Devontae Adams? <laughs> yeah. There you go. I mean, and and you know, you can you can heap praise on your two coordinators for doing a great job with the limited assets they have, and that also is not very satisfying. It's it's it is a. I don't want to lose either of those coordinators, but it's not very satisfying. <laughs> All right, James, always a pleasure. We run over here as usual, but uh, we really appreciate having you on the show. It's always a great conversation when you're on. Uh, try and have uh, try and get together, hopefully do some things during the offseason with you, my friend. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks, Ken. It'd be great. Uh, tell folks again where they can find your work. Yeah, you can find me at NFL Ogden on Twitter. Uh, you can also find me writing the uh, Battle Plans piece for Russell Street Report each week, um, which previews the game in depth. And I have a, a podcast with uh, Dev Pantois, who does, uh, uh, does the Battle Plans podcast with me each week. And you can also find me on the UK Ravens podcast each week, which um, which is going strong. And uh, yeah, if you want a flavor of, of Ravens fandom from across the pond, you can listen to us each week. So I have to ask you about this. The, the NFL recently put out the list of all the teams who had their marketing organizations and the, you know people were going after Brazil and the UK had a whole bunch of teams that they were going after. Of course, games in London will do that. But Germany, France, the United States is not anywhere. No, I sorry, sorry. The Ravens were not anywhere outside the United States trying to trying to market internationally. I think that's a big mistake for a lot of reasons. First of all, the Ravens, I think, have an established fan base in multiple European countries. I have all kinds of listeners in Denmark, Germany, France, Spain, the UK, and and you know they are some of the most vocal, interested fans. Uh, you know they 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 go out of their way to try and use their English skills and and for that. I just I can't believe the Ravens don't want to be part of international marketing. I completely agree. I, I think um, the, the the other thing to to remember is that the Ravens, you know. The Ravens have experienced a little bit of an explosion of international fans because of Lamar Jackson and the way he plays mm-hmm. the game. So that they are a team that people like to start when people start following teams. They're a team people like to follow right now. So it is a. Um, I mean, I, I've obviously been on it a lot longer than that, go over twenty years now. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's something that they probably need to do need to take advantage of because it is. There's a there's a big market and and there is a big big fan base in the UK, especially for for Ravens fans. There was a bunch of guys went over um, the same week I went over, actually 10 or 12 guys went over to, to watch the Ravens game, but also from other places. I follow the Dutch flock on Twitter and they've, they've been right. over a few times, you know, and there are def- there's definitely German Raven fans that I've mm-hmm. interacted with and Scandinavian guys too. So it is, it's a big, it's a big market. It's a strange thing to not see them want to do that. They do reach out in lots of ways. They are great um, 
with uh, the the UK Ravens sort of group that we have. They they do a lot of stuff with us, um, and they they have some you know. Cassie Calvin came on our on our podcast. They they do some good stuff to reach out, but it was interesting to not see them on there. It felt like it was. Um, I wondered whether someone put them on there, and then John Harbour was like, "No, don't you remember the Jacksonville game? <laughs> We're not going out of there again." Yeah, there you go. Uh, I, I, other folks, if you if you need to want to do a 25 years pod uh, with me, get your get your ideas in pretty quick. It's about we're about reaching the cutoff here, but I'd still love to have a few more, and I will extend it if if you'd like, um, uh, if we have enough interest anyway. Narrow idea, something we can get into in about 20 to 25 minutes, and hit me up with that. James, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Ken. It was a pleasure. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. <laughs> For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.